celebrating this weekend. You know, everybody wears green in honor of uh, the Irish. Uh, ironically, he wasn't Irish. St. Patrick was English. He was actually traded into the slave trade in Ireland back in the Celts in the early 5th century, and he was forced into slavery. He was forced into a, a home where he herded cattle, and he, he herded goats, and he, he took care of sheep, and probably hung around, you know, a Irish settler or something like that. Irish setter dog all day. Anyway, whatever. Um, he was uh, actually a slave taken from his home. Um, after spending some, a series of time there in Ireland, he received a dream that his ship was waiting for him. One night he made his way to the shore. He was, all he had to go on was this dream that his ship was waiting for him. He makes his way to the sea and he negotiates himself onto the ship. It's pretty fascinating. And he escaped back to England and prepared for ministry. A few years later, in the same form, in a dream, he received what he called his Macedonian call. If you don't know what a Macedonian call was, basically when Paul had a dream and, and the Macedonians were saying, hey, please come to us. We're ready to receive your message. We are your people of peace. Ironically, or spirit-led, Patrick had the same kind of Macedonian call in a dream. And the, the dream said, hey, come back to your captors. I mean, can, just put this into context. Okay, you were sold into slavery, you were uh, forced to work on a farm and a ranch and, and away from your home, learning a new culture and a new language and eating new foods and, and uh, not really sure what your whole future is going to look like. And then a few years later, after preparation, after your escape, you're called to go back. I mean, sometimes you're like, are you kidding me? I just got out of that mess. Now you're calling me back into that mess. Uh, a lot of times that happens though. God's like, hey, good, you needed a break from that. Now it's time to go back to that. You need to be you need to be trained in another way. Now it's time to go back to that. It's time to return to that call that you once had or that place that you were once in. Understanding your culture. This is huge for Patrick. Understanding your culture. There's no shortcut to understanding the people. When you understand the people, you often know what to say and do and how. When the people know that the Christians understand them, they infer that maybe Christianity's high God understands them too. Isn't that good? It's from the book, Celtic Way of Evangelism. There's no shortcut to understanding a culture. And I can tell you, coming from northwest Indiana, the Chicagoland region, the region we called it, with the bears and the bulls and the, the portillos and the great food, you know, probably on the planet, we came to Colorado Springs understanding that this is a different culture. When we parachuted in, we knew that even though this was still the United States, even though we were still speaking the same language, even though we pretty much dressed the same way, we understood that when we landed, oh, these people are different here. They think differently. They're individualistic. They're kind of pioneers. They're, they're independent. They like to you know, blaze trails. They like to try new things. They like to push the envelope. They like their freedom. And they especially don't like being told what to do. <laughs> Am I saying anything that's correct tonight, right? Coloradans, man, they're just different. Hey, that's a great bumper sticker. Coloradans, we're just different. Uh, anyway, in order for us to be able to speak to a culture, we talked about this last week, about understanding language is the foundational blocks of a culture. Any culture you have, it must have, and it does have, its own unique language. This is, has, Colorado has its own language. There's things about Northwest Indiana that you just wouldn't understand if I started talking about them. One of the, you know, LSD. You're all thinking, speed? No, that's Lakeshore Drive. Everybody knows that's Lakeshore Drive, right? You know, Wrigleyville. What does that mean? Is that where you all chew gum? 
No, it's where the Cubs play. Come on, everybody knows. There's, some, there's cultural language things that you guys know from where you are that I know that we're from, from, I, from where I am. And in order for us to communicate properly, especially the Gospel, the Kingdom and the King, we have to understand the culture that we're in. And I can tell you that takes time. It just takes time. I'm uh, so glad that when we came to Colorado, we decided to slow way down. And our first meeting, as you know, was having breakfast in my living room and watching Lord of the Rings in our pajamas. I mean, we just slowed way down. (sighs) People say that's the best Sunday ever. We slowed down. We realized that we didn't understand what people were saying with the current model that we were going to bring, especially when it involved the church. Thank God that we heard and we listened and we slowed down and we heard what the Lord was saying about starting slow, starting strong, starting just on purpose and start with relationships. People were crying out for community. People were crying out for real family. People were crying out for connection. People were crying out for a real relationship. Thank God we slowed down. You know why? Because we had to understand the culture in which we were dealing with. I suppose with all the talent that's in this room here tonight and everything that we could have done, something big, I suppose. I suppose we could have spun plates and had a big budget and rented out a huge high school, I suppose. And we probably would have attracted a lot of people, but I don't know that we would have attracted a family that we have today. I don't know that when you walked into somebody's room or somebody's home, you could say, hey man, I know what you're going through. I know how you're feeling. I'm associating with you. I understand your pain. I'm walking through that with you instead of, hey, how's it going? Good, good, good. And then you know, everybody just bails on you. It's okay because when in this setting, you can take your time and you can really start to say, I'm hurting. You are? Let's help. I'm so glad we did that. Understand your culture. His model was this. Everything Patrick did was in the context of teams. Apostolic meant simply sent on a he had what he I know that phrase today can carry a lot of baggage with it. From our own experience, an apostolic team were those who sat in a room and made all the big decisions, and you know, that was the elite of the elite, the apostolic team. Ooh, <laughs> don't the A team. Okay. You got a mission, call the A team, right? Um, by the way, you know, you gotta love Netflix because you can watch all these old eighties movies. I just started watching the A-Team and Magnum P.I. It's awesome. (laughs) Anyway, okay. Everything Patrick did was in the context of teens. Not unlike Jesus' model when he never sent somebody out on -on one-on-one evangelism or one-on-one confrontation. Uh, It meant sent on a mission. And Patrick understood the value and safety of setting up teams of people versus one-on-one confrontational evangelism or me growing up a good independent fundamental Baptist guy. I mean, we knocked on doors. We had our flip tracks and chick tracks and you know, if you died today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And people are like, what are you talking about? Oh, don't worry about that. You want to buy some toilet paper? Or how about some bars of candy? Or, you know, I mean, whatever. We sold everything door to door. Very confrontational, one-on-one evangelism. That's how we were taught. Patrick's mission, this is cool, his legacy. It was said that his mission planted over 700 churches in Ireland. He ordained, or his mission ordained a thousand priests. 29 personally. Isn't that fascinating? 30, of the, 30 or 40 of Ireland's 150 tribes became substantially Christianized because of his mission. He was also an early opponent to the slave uh, trade in Ireland. 
It was actually a, it was abolished in about 692 A.D. You've got to remember, it's like century stuff. This is only about 450 years after Jesus walked the face of the earth. The Druids and the Celts and the Irish, they weren't even reached by the Roman culture yet because they were on the outskirts and they were considered barbarians and they were considered you know, unreachable. And then the whole question came about, which I want to present to you tonight is, do you have to be civilized first to receive Christianity or do you have to be Christianized to receive civilization? The Romans thought you had to be civilized first and then you got to receive Christianity and the Celts believed that you could be Christianized first and then civilization was birthed out of that. You see the small but great, the grand difference? A lot of our American culture is from Roman thinking. I don't know that we can really even help it. I think it's built prejudices that let us know that, no, you have to be civilized first to come to church and then we can Christianize the the, all the lists and the banter of people that we put labels on, we tell them, clean up first, and then you can come and be a part of our fellowship. See, it's a Roman way of thinking. We're going to get into that in just a minute. Patrick explained that he devoted his life to helping the Irish populations be reborn in God and redeemed from the ends of the earth because the church is placed in the world as a light among nations. Now, I know the church has got her issues, but I'm telling you, she is still the best hope for the hopeless. We are screwed up, broken, messed up. Sometimes really, we really mess people up, but I'm telling you, when, they, when, when the church gets it right, it's the best hope for the unbeliever. It's still the best place to be healed. I wrote an article one day, uh, Community, where I got wounded and where I got healed, all in one. <laughs> we can say that about the church, right? Church, it's where I got killed and it's where I came alive. It's where I got wounded and dropped and messed up, and it's where I came back to life. There's something screwy about it, but it works most of the time. So our calling is to fish well and to spread our net so that we can catch a great multitude for God. The Celtic way. In the Celtic culture, there was a sense of belonging before believing. We're getting into some of the details in just a minute. There's a sense of belonging before you believed. So in church, that's really what we've always tried to adopt as let me be your friend. I don't want you to be a member of my church. I don't care if you give to my church. I don't need your talents, your gifts, or your anointing in my church. And our body doesn't really need really anything you have to offer outside of your friendship. Do you feel like you belong first? That's our culture. At least that's what we're really striving to achieve. Can I welcome you to my home and let you feel completely part of our family without being a member or without feeling guilty of not giving that month or without feeling guilty of yourself in one of the ministries? Yes, hopefully, by God's grace, we're creating a culture where you can belong before you ever believe. You see, this is what we're talking about, our young people. This is what we're talking about, Josh, in your video is can we provide a culture, can we provide a family where you belong before you really believe that you actually belong? We were watching a series called Parenthood. Anybody ever seen that series, Parenthood? Man, that was pretty good. It just ended, we wrapped it up. We did a Parenthood marathon like four days in a row. Stayed up to four in the morning. You know, well, I did. Teresa didn't. 
One of the things in there, they, one of the families adopted a young boy. They didn't expect to have an eight-year-old boy that they adopted. And it was funny, the transition, that they had to make this young man feel like he was part of the family. He still considered himself just a guest. Until one day the dad said, you're not just visiting, you're ours. You're mine. You're my son. Man, I can tell you that if you're in a church setting and you're a young person, man, you just want to hear that you're my son and you belong. You're not just visiting. You belong. Man, if you're somebody here that's broken and you're burned out with church and you've just been beat up and dropped like Mephibosheth was and you just need to hear that you belong, that you belong here, that you can rest here and you can get healed here. And yes, we'll probably wound you here too, but it's not intentional, I promise. It just gives more opportunity for healing. Isn't that the goal of any family is to be at a place where I know that I'm safe, I know that I belong, I know that I can, I can spread my junk, I know that I can be real, I know that I can be transparent, I know that no one's going to judge me, I know that I can just come as I am, and I can, I can work on my stuff in the midst of this place. I don't have to believe to belong, I just belong to believe. Does that make sense? The Celtic way. The sense of belonging before believing. The Roman way. You must believe before you belong. The Catholics were like, no, you have this, 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 and this in order to be a part of our culture. This is... So this is so anti-cultural, especially in the church world, especially in this season, that the Roman church was, was up in arms about it. They, they just couldn't believe the Celtic way. They couldn't believe that the Celts had their own way of dressing. They couldn't believe that the Celts had their own way of wearing their hair even. They couldn't believe that they ate certain ways and certain meals. You must believe before you can belong. It's kind of the culture that we've adopted in American denominationalism. In order to be a part of our well, <laughs> you've got to go through our nine-step membership class first. Look, I'm not beating up on denominationalism denominations, but I am beaten up on denominationalism. If that's what causes the isms on the bottom of the back of anything, that's what causes division. It's when you start an ism. Yeah, we're going to believe differently. Of course, that's the body of Christ. We function differently. There's different functions. There's things that happen in there. And, and you have tribes and you have people that you, have, you associate with. Jesus said this. Uh, the disciples are like, hey man, they're baptizing over there, Jesus. So you, we, we should go over there and stop them. Why? They're not against us. They're for us. Jesus basically saying, look, they're all, we're on the same team. They might be doing something a little differently and that's okay. When we, set, when we have the ism zone, this is what we've adopted in denominationalism is you've got to get cleaned up first, then we'll accept you into our culture. The Celtics said this, monastic life was lived out in the open. The Romans said this, monastic life was lived in secret. Basically, whenever there was an abbey or a place where the, where the Celts would set up shop, they would basically have a small four-foot around a concrete wall or out of stone and, uh, and whatever land that they claimed, that was claimed to be a land of heaven. It was literally a colony of heaven. And in this colony, there was no violence. As a matter of fact, it was a thin place. In, this, um, uh, in these colonies, it they, they was claimed and documented that wild animals would become tame. That there was no murders, there was no rape, there was no, no abuse, no hunger, no ill, no sickness. In this colony, they created an environment of heaven. They, they got it. Jesus was always about creating a colony of heaven on earth. 
From the garden, to the cross, to the grave, to the first church. I want you to bring what heaven looks like down on the earth. And all throughout the Celtic way of culture, the Celtic culture, they were bringing thin places where things were actually happening. Transformation. When you walked into this colony, there would be a gate there and it would swing in, welcoming you into this colony. But it was always on a thoroughfare. Back then, obviously, we're talking about 450 A.D. You know, they had nothing better than cow paths. The main thoroughfares always went to the sea where the trade was happening, but basically these were just dirt roads. The difference between the, the Celtic culture was they would put their monastic villages, their colonies of heaven, in a high-traveled area so that as many people as possible could come by and get touched by it. The Roman way was get, get me away, get me in the mountains, get me hidden, I just want to be away. The Celtics were like, we need to save people. The Romans were like, we need to save ourselves. Does this make sense? We're going to translate to our own culture here in just a minute. The American denomination was adopted from the Roman style of discipleship. Basically, in order for you to be a part of our club, this, these are the rules you have to follow, this is the steps you have to take, and uh, really just put your mask on and just, you know, enjoy the facade. Let's look at the five foundations of Celtic discipleship. Number one, they always were a team or a family. Celtic way was always in a team or a family. By relating to the people of a settlement, identifying with the people, engaging in friendships, conversation, ministry, and witness with the goal of raising up a church in measurable time. Mike Breen said this, which I love. If you focus on making disciples, you will always end up with a church. You'll probably end up with consumers. We create events. We create monastic villages. We create these experiences for people to come and sit and be entertained and be enjoyed. And, 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 and you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Unless it turns into that you become the consumer and not a disciple maker. I love big churches. I love small churches. I love, I love little churches that meet in homes. I've been in India where a church meant under a tree. Blowing it up for Jesus. It matters not as long as we know that our focus is to make disciples and not become consumers. The problem with our churches today is, to some degree, at least in America, that some have written about and some have talked about and some have even prophesied that you will be Europe in a matter of 20 years unless you learn to make disciples. And your churches will become museums and clubs and turn to the things that they were never intended to be turned into because the church has failed to make disciples. It's just a matter of time because history is just repeating itself. A foundation of Celtic discipleship, and this is what I love. Guys, this is really out as far as discipleship goes. We things in the context of family. A family isn't just those who are born under your name or to have your blood running through them. A family is those who connect together on a larger scale. It's the context of sharing life together. It's breaking bread together. It's coming to the Eucharist table together. That's family. It's Jesus and his 12 disciples walking through life for three and a half years. That was his family. Jesus said, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my father? And without saying another word, he looked at his boys and said, let's go. He was, he was engaged 
just creating a denomination or, or, or even a church. He was engaged in creating a family of God on the planet. The first rule of anything we do of opening up our homes and sharing our lives. And yes, you might come to my house someday and there might be dishes in the sink. We're, we're really also, things may not be dusted as to your standards, and that's okay. We're working on that with my children. They're getting better. You might come to my house and see maybe Teresa and I engaged in a heavy debate. Some may call it an argument. <clears throat> <laughs> It's okay. We're real. We're a real, live, working family, and that's what happens in family. That's the context in which we live in this Celtic discipleship. Number two is living a life of depth. This is good because there's five points underneath this. I'm taking notes. This is number two, but there's five points under it. Number one is learning to be in a solitary prayer and meditation. The Celts had a saying that said this sit in your cell and your cell will teach you everything you need to know. Another way of saying this is they would create these pods of new students that would come to these monastic establishments, and they would set these pods down by a tree and a brook, and they would say, go sit in silence. Your pod will teach you everything you need to know. Boy, this is hard for Americans. To sit alone in solitary, in solitary um, um, meditation with the Father, to be quiet, Sit, and it will teach you everything you need to know. Number two is learning from a master. Spending time with your soul friend taught them accountability and deep friendship and confession. So once you learn this art of meditation, you learn how to be still. You learn how to sit. You learn how to listen. You learn how to hear from the Holy Spirit. The second thing that you would do was be introduced into a soul friend or a master that you could confide in. Somebody that you could be accountable to. Somebody that you could call friends. Somebody that would be a friend of yours and you would be a friend of theirs. There was no division in the Celtic community, although there were masters and apprentices and, and students. A master was just as vulnerable and accountable to a student as a student was to a master. You see the disparity disparaging in the American church today? I mean, masters just don't associate with students like they used to. Masters don't become vulnerable with students. Masters don't open up transparent and real and share their stories and share their struggles because you might think less of me if that was the case. Number three was living life in a small group. And this is where you were taught to communicate with brothers and sisters. This is where you were taught the, the fundamentals that you could be in disagreement with someone. And that, that's okay. We have a slogan here at Keystone. It's, it's called Unity in Diversity. Where we don't let things divide us Although we think differently. If I were to go around the room, you would not believe the backgrounds that are represented in this room tonight. The different theologies that are represented in this room tonight. And yet somehow, through the, through the Holy Spirit and this glue that holds us together called family, we're able to walk together without getting freaked out that you might believe a little bit differently than I do. It has to be it, for me, it has to be the, the healthiest place I've ever been in. Where you've been to either denominations or uh, at a place where a leader, if you disagreed with him or her, 
you know, you're out. You can't be on the team. You're not on the team anymore. Sorry, you're out. Your first ticket out is to create an argument where you disagreed. Crap. Something profound in prayer tonight. He said, the most prophetic thing you could ever ask is why. Isn't that good? I think we've given ourselves the freedom to do that. Why do we do the things we do? If we're doing these things forever and ever and ever, and they're not working, we probably ought to ask ourselves why we continue to do them. Doesn't make sense. Why? Living life in a small group allows you to ask the question why. It allows you to learn from brothers and sisters. I'm telling you guys, you'll be so encouraged if you'll come by my house on Tuesday nights and just listen to the conversations that are going around the very scriptures that we love and to debate and we love to talk about and we love to dive into. You know what happens in that setting? We're allowed the freedom to disagree. I don't think there's anything more healthy than the freedom to disagree and know you can walk out of my basement knowing I still love you, knowing I'm for you, knowing that we are still a family and we are still in unity. My husband, my husband and I, <laughs> hey, you know what? <laughs> no, honey, I'm not living an alternative lifestyle. My wife and I disagree on some things. There's some things we disagree about in, in, in uh, general things. There's some things we disagree Because you have the freedom to disagree is probably the most strengthening sinew and, and tendons that can happen in the body of Christ. It's different, but it all works. Number four, they worshipped, they had Eucharist and fellowship with a larger group of the Menasic culture. Basically, that's this. They'd come together at a set time at the abbey, and the abbot would come together and they would gather always around the Eucharist table. By the way, this is what really ticked off the Romans eventually, especially in Jesus' uh, uh, earlier to Jesus' death, is they could not stand the living organism called Eucharist. They hated communion. Hey, confess Jesus. We don't really care. I mean, the devils and the you know, enemy, they, they confess Jesus. Uh, but when you break the bread of Jesus and you're represented with his death, burial, and resurrection, and you drink the wine of his blood, there's something about that association that just unravels the enemy, unlike anything else we do. They gathered around the Eucharist table, and finally, they observed and gained an experience. Uh, yeah. They observed and gained an experience of ministry and witnessed to, don't you love this? Pre-Christian people. I love that phrase. You know what it means? <laughs> what does it mean? What does it infer to? Go ahead, D. That it's going to happen, or perhaps it might happen. Hey, I'm a seeker. And, and again, I know the 90s, they blew that word up, and we got weird, and it just went sideways, but it's true. You're going to have people who come into your fellowship that are seeking. They may not be believers yet. They may not be ready to say, yes, I'm in. Yes, I want to take communion. Yes, I want to be baptized. Yes, I want to do all the things you guys do. 
but they're seeking. They're pre-Christians. I love that. This is what they were ultimately hoping to do to help discover and fulfill your vocation and to give you experience in ministry with seekers. That's a life in depth. Number four. Three. They prayed in all situations. Celtic prayers are still large influence on the culture today. Watch this. Celts would at least sing 30 psalms a day. Imagine a prayer. Subjected prayer to everyday situations from stoking fires to catching fish. What do I mean by that? Imaginative prayer. They were very... Because most of culture... Remember, they were, they were um, illiterate. They couldn't... They, so a lot of what they learned was through translation of story. And that they heard the stories over and over and over and over. It bore witness. And that's what created the, the testament. That's what created the, the, uh, the living canon that we have today. It was just the validity of the word of the professors, the professors, who said it over and over and over again. And one of the things that the kids would do was have these images or these pictures of how they would pray. It was called imaginative prayer. And they would literally say this as they would go fishing. They would pray like, God, I pray that you would bless the lake that I'm fishing in today. And I pray that this fish would come to my hook and that you would reveal your power and glory to that nature so that I can then share in your glory with the rest of the fellowship or the tribe. And then they would sing songs about fi little fishy, come out and play, da 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 da. Won't you bite my hook today? Make me happy and fish tacos. And who knows just where this will go? Little fishy. Okay, maybe not so. But they would, they would create psalms that would create this imagery of what they wanted to pro profess. You know where all the hymns came from was just their professions of prayer. This, is this good? And this is the way they lived. This is how they lived. They, they lived, oh God, as I drive my car today, I pray that you keep the snakes away and my flat tires won't get in the way. I mean, whatever. Whatever, whatever they were doing in life, they adopted this imagination, this imaginative chorus, this, imagine, this imagery that would translate always to the glory of God. And they could say when they arrived, praise God, my tires didn't get flat today and I was saved from all accidents. And I wrote a song about it. Let's sing it in church. Okay, woohoo! Work on that, Michael. All right. And then they come to a fellowship and they begin to sing about the tests and they begin to sing about the crops and they begin to sing about the ground sing about the lakes and the fish and the animals that they would be able to eat and, and, and share with one another and they, they begin to pray where did prayer by the way prayer over meals came from the Celts I don't know if you knew that or not they would sing about a hunt they would come and enjoy it and pray and bless God for what they just received we're a little far from that today, I suppose. You know, we're like, well, where'd you eat food? I don't know. If King Supers runs out, I guess we're screwed. I don't really know. Did you guys, uh, Teresa and I made the mistake of going to the grocery store right before the big, the big alleged snowstorm, you know, the big one for this year that didn't result in anything. 
<laughs> it's the first time, I guess in my life, where I have never seen a gallon of milk in the, free, the, the refrigerated section, except for one, which we bought for $6.50. Well, it was all natural, of course, you know. <laughs> you know, eight bucks for a dozen of eggs, you know, and they were all busted and cracked. I said, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. What is wrong with these people? Don't we live in Colorado? Aren't you used to it? Doesn't everybody have a four-wheel drive with studded tires? I mean, what's wrong with you? Everything was gone. It was the most, it was, it was kind of funny. We, we giggled. We're like, oh, this is kind of funny. Until I got to the cashier. I'm like, what? Everything they do prayed. Everything they had imagined in prayer. Number four was hospitality. This is huge, guys. This is one of the largest beliefs for a Celtic believer. Check this out. Even if a priest or an abbot was in the middle of a fast, he would break his fast and eat with a passing sojourner. Someone would come by and they would say, hey, I'm new. I'm, I'm on my way somewhere. I'm, I'm in route. And the abbot would go, well, I'm breaking my fast. Because your hospitality would mean more to me than me trying to be spiritual and fast before the Lord. And matter of fact, they took to heart this statement. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. When did we see you naked and abused, Jesus? When did we see you homeless and without shelter? When did we see you without a meal? When you've done it to the least of these, you have done it to me. Remember, they're only about 400 years removed from Jesus actually walking on the earth and saying this. It was very, very real to them still. Hospitality. Finally, it was the seeker. And I mentioned this a little earlier, but this is a good model for us to look at. The Roman model was presentation. Hey, here's the gospel. The gospel says, you know, the Romans road. Anybody know the Romans road? Any good Baptists out there? Yeah, man, the Rome, or good evangel uh, evangelicals. The Romans road. You know the Romans road? Boom, I just shot you. The Romans road, right? Romans 3.10, Romans 3.23, Romans 5.8, Romans 5.10-12, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.5.8, backwards. Something goes back. Oh, Romans 10.12-13. I mean, the Romans road, man, you've got to admit that you're a sinner, right? You're going to hell. You are going to go to hell. No, no I know you're laughing at this, but think about this. I'm standing on a stranger's porch, presenting this to a complete individual who could be three sheets of the wind, it didn't matter. And I'm telling them that they are going to go to hell. And if they walked out their door that day, they would probably get hit by a semi and split hell wide open. You got to say it like that. because. And we're like, dang, we better get out there and get busy. This is a Roman influence. I'm going to present to you the gospel. You have a decision to make. Well, I better make that decision right now. Right now. What if I'm not ready? It doesn't matter. Get ready. And finally, then you're welcomed into our fellowship. And we're going to reproduce you over and over and over again. And this is the way you're going to live your life. And if you're really extreme, you might even lose that <laughs> salvation if you say a cuss word. Uh, I'm not kidding. Number two, Celtic model, Celtic model. Celtics. We want to welcome you into our fellowship first. Can you imagine this? Now, Teresa and I have done this. In Gary, Indiana, where we worked in this urban um, environment, matter of fact, we're the only white people on the streets. They thought we were drug dealers or looking for drugs. Like, hey, what y'all doing? Um, nothing. We're just praying for our community. 
Oh, we thought you all looking for drugs, but you got those two kids with you, so we figured that can't be. So we walked to the door, we'd knock on doors, but it was a little different. We would say, hi, my name's Lonnie, it's my wife Teresa, my kids. We'd like to know if there's anything that we can pray with you about today. Everyone, babe, I would say everyone that actually answered the door would say, you sure can. Come on in. You see the difference between you are going to go to hell unless you make this decision versus can I offer you fellowship? Can I offer you, can I engage with your heart? Can I engage with your life? Can I engage with your family? When Teresa and I first landed here in Colorado Springs, we had what we called uh, backyard, the, bar, the backyard barbecues or getting to know you. And we just invited people from all over the place, all different walks of life, come and have bread with us. Break bread with us. We're not, don't come to church. We don't want you part of a team. You know, no plates you can spin. Just come and be a part of our family. Can we be a part of your family? As a matter of fact, people who don't fellowship with us today are still considered our friends because that's how we started we don't start with, well, sorry, you didn't make a decision to join my apostolic team, so you can't be on my team, so sorry, get rid of you. People that are still connected with us in some way know that we're about the relationship first. Relationship first. Even people who came to actually plant the church with us know that they are still with us in relationship first, even though they're not here, and that's okay. Relationship first. Secondly, in a Celtic model was ministry and conversion. I'm sorry, ministry and conversation. So you're sitting around the table. You're inviting people into your fellowship. You might be playing cards. I mean, you might be having an, an, you know, whatever. You're, you're doing something that's engaging their hearts. Or you're engaging their fellowship. And in the middle of this conversation, you're having ministry. You probably know this all too well, don't you, Emily? Just by the tables, conversations that you've had with Lisa and her family. How did you become a believer it wasn't somebody beating you over the head with a Bible. It was simply being invited into fellowship. I'm speaking for you, but so you nodding, so I guess I'm still right. Finally, <laughs> there's a belief and an invitation to commitment. Remember the quadrant? High invitation, high challenge equals what? Empowered people. The Celts were empowered because they were, first of all, invited into fellowship. Now, this was no, this was no switch for them. They realized that the fellowship was real and the fellowship could end at fellowship if that's where it ended. There were people in the communities that really hadn't bought into the whole systematic monastic way of life and they were free to come and go as they desired. But those who actually were ministered to and those who were people of peace and those who really grabbed onto the culture, they began to become believers. They made the transition becoming a seeker or a pre-Christian to a believer. And they naturally walked into the systematic lifestyle of fellowship and family and they became part they belonged first and then they believed jesus said this is because of my goodness come on somebody that men repent it is the goodness of god that brings men to repentance it's not his judgment although he is just it is not his his anger, although we have seen his wrath. It is not his fear, although we live in Yira, the awe of God. It is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. Man, that's good, stinking news. I get excited when I think about the goodness of God drawing men to himself. 
It is the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. And this is awesome. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That'll change your life. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The Celts understood this. They were inviting people into their culture. By the way, there's a wave in England that's returning to this. I don't know if you knew this or not, but it's really cool. In Wales and Great Britain, they're now saying, hey, uh, let's connect with you on a level where you are. Why? We need to understand our, our culture as a postmodern, albeit post-Christian culture. We have to reconnect with you on a level that you understand. It's not watering down the word at all. It's simply understanding. God has said, and not be afraid to speak the truth in love. I think that's what people are dying to hear. <coughs> They're not afraid of truth. They need it. They're dying for it. Brief belief and invitation to commitment. I love this line. Invitation to commitment meant now... I'm going to plow with you. Now I'm going to plant with you. Now I'm going to harvest with you. Now I'm going to write songs with you. Now I'm going to sing with you. Now I'm going to be committed to Eucharist with you. That's when somebody assimilated to the culture completely and they begin to regale themselves as I am now part of this body of believers. You see the transition? Before it was, hey, let's see how many people we can get saved and we'll fill our church. And then we'll you know, pay all of our salaries and we'll get people to you know, beat them over the head for giving and, and da-da-da and that. And, and, and the other way is, hey, how about you and I can, let's see if we can connect on a friendship level. Are you my person of peace? Would you like to go have a hamburger with me? I'm always reminded of Popeye the movie, you know. I would gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. It was probably Robin Williams' best. Have anybody ever seen Popeye? It is the best. Come on, Darren, right? I would gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. He would gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. You know, Wimpy and all these kids are like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> so what did you learn at church tonight, son? Well, we learned about how to sing song to fish and uh, Popeye, whatever that means. Okay. How does this translate to today? Let's wrap it up. Here's some thoughts. Number one, and keep, let's, let's put it into our context. Okay, let's just say... Uh, we're not trying to separate ourselves from any other church. We're just saying that this is the people of peace that God is sending us. Let's, let's put it in that context. Everybody with me? Everybody with me? Just nod your head. I'm not saying, hey, we're the best in Keystone. We're trying to build Keystone. Keystone can fly off the map for all I care as long as we have our families. In the context of family, operating in the context of family, this means that we have to be vulnerable and transparent with one another. This comes from the spirit of belonging. If you know that you belong, it's not hard to be vulnerable. If you know that there's a high invitation, it's not hard to say, I can be real there. I can let my hair down there. I can really just be me there. And all my junk, and I don't have to hide anything. I can admit to watching porn or getting drunk. I can admit to hitting my wife or yelling at my kids. I can do things because I feel safe. Does it make sense? Uh, I think I might have shared the story before, but the first time I ever went to our, our senior pastor's uh, marriage class back in Indiana, a guy stood up and literally, I about fell out of my chair because he said these words. Pastor asked him, hey, Stu, Stu, stand up, tell us, uh, I don't think that was his name, tell us how your week went. 
And he stands up and you can tell he kind of had that look of, boy, this guy has been beat up in life. He's probably been an alcoholic. He's probably been a drug abuser. He's probably went through Salvation Army three or four times. He just had that look, you know, old faded tattoos. And he looked at the pastor and he said, well, sir, I only looked at porn three times this week. I only, looked at, I only hit my wife twice. I only cussed out my kids once. And I thought about smoking some dope, but I, I got past that. But I knocked my cigarette intake down to about a pack and a half a day. And I, I about freaked. I'm like, who does this? Who says this in front of 30 or 40 men? Who, who, who does this? And you know what the pastor said? Hey, man, good job. A whole lot better than it was last week. And they sat down and everybody cheered. I thought I had entered the twilight zone. I thought, what? I, this cannot be church. This is like Jerry Springer. I mean, what is going on? What I learned from that particular, that, that pastor was that he taught us that it was okay to be real. It was okay to be vulnerable. It was okay to, to, uh, to admit to your fault as long as you were on the journey to someplace better. Operate in the context of family. Number two, go deep. Turn off and tune out. Somebody needs to tweet that right there. Boom. Turn off and tune out. Learn the discipline of meditation. The discipline of meditation. Turn off your computers. Turn off your iPhones. Turn off your music. Turn off the TV. Turn off and tune Go sit by a brook and get into your pod because the pod will teach you everything you need to know. Well, I just don't have time. Make time. I promise you, you have time. I promise you, you have time. One of the hardest things when I was doing a lot of mission work with a lot of young people, actually, was to get them to sit still and to meditate and journal. Remember that, guys? And everybody would have their music on. I, hey, by the way, I remember first missions trips was like, get rid of all your electronics. You're allowed one phone call in two weeks. And I'm like 35 years old going, what the heck, dude? You know what? I had one phone call in two weeks. I took showers with tarantulas. And one time it took a shower like it took me days to finally get a shower. And then I lost 20 pounds in a way that you do not want to know. Yeah, Christy knows. Christy nursed and mothered me, well, like seven of us back to life. My God. But you know what there? I'll never, I'll never ever forget that. When, you can, when you're allowed yourself to sit and be still and write and journal and turn everything off, it'll change your life. It's part of their culture. Number three, become prayer. You are prayer, the answer to prayer. We talked a lot about that. Number four, live for something bigger than yourself. It's not all about you all of the time. Discipleship is giving your life away. I'm going to read that again. Give yourself away for something bigger than yourself. It's not about, say that with me, it's not about me all the time. You don't matter. Say, I don't matter. I don't matter. I'm going to die. Right? I'm going to give my life away. Uh-oh, nobody wants to do that. Okay. <laughs> it's not about you. And finally, number five is more is caught than taught. Belong than believe. Stand with me tonight. Hope this helps, guys. This is, uh... hey, son. My son's back there wanting to clap. Want to clap, Luke? Come on, let's clap together. Come on. Yeah. Woo! Now he's not clapping. There we go. <laughs> you know, up to this point, and hopefully you're kind of following the same, the, uh, the same lines as how I'm teaching, 
is number one, initially we have to learn as students, and it's a lot of information, right? That's what Jesus did. I mean, the first year or two of his ministry, he was just information, 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 parable, 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 parable. What's he doing? He's introducing a new way of life. Introducing a new world order, if you will. He's introducing a new kingdom, a new way to live. And it came through the transference of information. At some point, as we put flesh on this, we're going to move to the information stage, to an apprentice stage. And I know everybody's at different levels. So don't freak out. Stay where you are as long as you need to. But we have to move from information to apprentice. We have to become practicers of this stuff. You know, if we're going to teach this stuff, let's practice it. It's really good in theory, isn't it? Wow, that's good, man. I love the way those Celts lived. You know what? It's tough. It's tough to be quiet. It's tough to give your life away. It's tough to go disciple somebody and invite somebody into your family. We're, we're independent. Man, we're, we're individualistic. We don't want people in our family. We don't want people in our homes. We don't want to open up our home and, and invite people over. No, I'm going to, as Catherine said, I'm going to shut my garage door and nobody's getting cookies. Nobody. We've got to open up our lives and become what we're hearing. It's an apprenticeship. And then we learn from apprenticeship to master. And we no longer are necessarily needing all the information because now we're immersed in this culture and it just becomes who we are. We become disciples. It's a fascinating transition. And then you become like Jesus. And, and then you reproduce it all over again. And you realize that someone who's at a student point, you kind of wink and go, I've been there. And that's okay. You're right where you need to be. It's healthy. Right where you need to be. Stay there. Get healed. It's okay. Enjoy our fellowship. Enjoy our family. Enjoy our food. Enjoy learning stuff. Long before you believe. Test us. See if it's not real. Here's the thing that rubs us as Americans. This is going to take some time. It's going to take time. Man, I would love to, to have communion with you. I'd love to have you over and have pizza or something. And you're like, they're like, no, I don't think so. Or you don't see them for two years and they come walking back in. And you're like, whoa, cool. I promise you, invite them to your living room first and then don't worry about Saturday nights. Play games with them. You know, whatever that, what are the settlers of something? I can't remember that word. Settlers of Catan? Catan. Play that. That seems to be kind of cool. Get some people over. Invite them into your life. You know what? Let them see a little bit of your temper. That's good. <laughs> okay, we learned how to sing to fish. <laughs> All right. Why don't you pray with me tonight? In Jesus Christ's name, Father, we are awake to your presence. We're alive. We're alert. We're aware of your presence moving right now in our hearts. Let me ask you this with your eyes closed and your head bowed and have you ever just wanted to belong first? And you can just answer that in your heart. Just answer that in your heart. You know what? I just want to be, I just want to belong. Do you see, the, do you see your heart going green? Kind of like, yes, that's me. That's me. I just want to belong. Can I tell you tonight, in Jesus Christ's name, you belong. You belong in this family called... Christians. You belong. You belong. You belong. Can you, if you would, if that's you tonight, just utter in your own words, I belong. 
You have to speak those words. It doesn't matter what fellowship you're part of. Just, I belong. I belong to Jesus. I belong to a family. I deserve a family, and you do. Perhaps that's you tonight. Can I just pray with you, Jesus? Tonight, there are those in this room, Lord, that they just need to hear that they belong. Can I tell you and encourage you by the Holy Spirit, you belong. You belong. Oh God, there's some here tonight that may be in a stage of life where, like, man, this is great. I'm ready to, I'm ready to practice this stuff. Man, I'm ready to go. Father, in Jesus' name, raise up your apprentices that can practice and begin to implement and begin to put bones and flesh and marrow around this idea of discipleship. I know that there's those in your sitting here tonight and you're like, you know what? I'm, I'm good. I'm healed. I'm ready to go to the next level. I'm ready to open my home. I'm ready to invite people into my life. I'm ready to people into my family. If that's you tonight, just see that green light go off in your spirit and say, that's me. Now let's pray this together. Father, give me the grace that I'm going to need in this apprenticeship. As we do in the context of family, give me the grace that I need to do this apprenticeship and to now practice what I have learned, all the information that I've been flooded with for 20 or 30 years. It's now time to move out of my seat and to do something about what I know. If that's you tonight, then just say, give me grace to do what I know to do. Come on, somebody. Give me grace to do what I know to do. And finally, perhaps you're here tonight and you're like, man, I've done that. I've opened my home. My home is still open. I'm still doing that. And I really want to take that next liminal to masterhood. I want to learn what it means to be a master. And I want to reproduce myself and someone else. If that's you tonight, I pray for this. You ready? I pray for an anointing of wisdom and understanding. Solomon said this, in all of your getting, get wisdom and an understanding heart that I might judge these people of your God. Basically, that, judge, that word judge there can be lead or love or, 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 or encourage or anything, anything that requires sound judgment. Father, that is us tonight. As masters in the room, that's you. A green light just went off in your spirit and you're saying, Lon, that's me. I feel like I'm supposed to be leading people. I feel like that I'm supposed to be this master that you talk about. And, I, and I've been stuck in liminal space up to this point. And I just want to make that transition and, and see people reproduced in my own life. If that's you tonight, then I pray for you. And I say to you, wisdom and an understanding heart come upon you in Jesus Christ's name that you can lead these people of God. And Father, tonight I bless your people with all the blessings of heaven. And Lord, let this week become a place of practice, whether we're a student, an apprentice, a master, or maybe we're starting all over again and, and just realizing that whatever stage of life we're in, Lord, that you're with us and that we belong. I love you tonight. I'm so, so flooded with love for this family. I pray now that the Holy Spirit would ignite what is in your heart to do. Whether you're sitting and healing, I want to tell you, sit and heal. Whether you're a student and you just want to gather information and you want to, hey, do I really belong here? Is this really my place? Then I want to encourage you tonight. Man, you do. You do belong. 
And you're here tonight and you're like, man, Lon, I, 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 I want to start practicing this stuff. Grace and peace. Maybe I'm a master and I need to start acting like it. Wisdom and understanding. Now, as we always do here, would you just put your hand on your heart and let's just seal the word of the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, I know the enemy would love to steal this seed. He, he's, he's a thief, he's a liar, he's a robber. But tonight, God, I pray that you would sear this word into your people's hearts. Sear it deep so the enemy cannot steal it. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ.